Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so thrilled today to be here with Russell and our guest, Todd Bowman. I'm the co-host. Yes, you are. And hi, Todd. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you guys? So good. We're so happy to have you here because you are a very dear friend of mine and someone that I find just super interesting and really funny. Oh, thanks. I would describe you as a power bottom. Is that right? (laughs) I have a lot of power. (laughs) Oh, my dear. Can you explain to the audience what that means? Because I had to... We're not going to go down that uh, that road today, Russell. (laughs) We got got bigger uh, fish to deal with. We do. (laughs) Thank you. Someone needs to rein him in. Oh, I'm just so excited. He's a loose cannon. We love Russell. Speaking of power bottoms. um, So... I, want, I just want to make sure that the audience, because, you know, you and I are both from around the, the same place. So when, when anyone... Yeah. You were both born and raised uh, in Detroit, right? Or in the Detroit Right, area. yeah. I grew up in a suburb outside of Detroit, a little town called Wixom, Michigan. So oh, you're it was not kind... from Pontiac. No, but you did your um, homework, Russell, because I feel like a big superstar because I was born at the Pontiac Memorial Hospital. So was I. That's so great. That's crazy. So I wonder yeah. how many I wonder how many yogis actually were born at the Pontiac Memorial Hospital. Well, I think uh, they Madonna can just, was born there. Probably, and they can just uh, put a comment in the link below if there's any Pontiac <laughs> Memorial <laughs> Hospital yoga babies. That is a great idea. There must yeah. be a few more of you out there besides I'm Madonna. Sure. Well, she doesn't do yoga anymore. Mm. Right. And you would know because you're a huge Madonna fan. That's true, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Still yeah. to this day? Um, yeah, well, it's, you know, kind well, of wavered a little bit in the past few years. But I must after say... After the uh, Super Bowl, I mean, it was all... She was... It was, it was over, really. Well, she reinvented herself once again with the last album. But, you know, oh, you I am so? a big Madonna fan. I remember meeting... I remember talking with Harmony in 2008 and she was like just dishing on her. She wasn't having it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, a lot of questions I get actually from people is, is because I like Madonna, is that how I got into Ashtanga? And this is not, not the case, but we can get into that later if you like. Well, well, when did we all all meet though? Um, Actually, I met Russell, I think at the end, like just before the shallot closed in 2005. Okay. Um, and there was a group, I didn't know hardly anybody. I went there by myself. So I didn't have any like friends or, you know, any contact. And for some reason, I, I met some people and you were friends with them. Govinda was there. Oh. Uh, was the lawyer named Randy? Was that his name? Yeah. 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 He, Randy, yeah, right. you and a couple other people. You guys Randy invited Parrish me to- from Virginia. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. You guys invited me to go watch a movie. And Randy had like a TV and a DVD yeah. player. Really? And, yeah. And I was completely, because, you know, we didn't have those things then. <laughs> right. My sort DVD was a, player. Was yeah, he was sparse. set up, man. He, <laughs> he, was, was, he was totally set up. set up. And I remember going to his home and I was like, wow, people can live like this because my first apartment was like, my bed was next to the Indian toilet, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. with no hot water. Yeah. Yeah. There were other ways to live. 
Mm -hmm. So that's when I first met you. I have no recollection of you it's at that okay. event. I, you know what? I was a little forgettable then. I, I remember you so clearly. Um, the, the way I remember meeting you was in Jayashree's class, uh, the Sanskrit chanting class in yeah. town at the Lakshmi Puram, yeah. Um, yeah. near Lakshmi Puram. No, wait, no, I'm sorry. The um, giant moron palace. Jagamohan. Jagamohan. Yeah, Harmony will know. <laughs> yeah. Jag That's how you, you, if you tell the rickshaw driver, can you please take me to Giant Moron Palace? They take you right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how we got there. Yeah, I didn't know where I was going. So I, I remember you being so poised and you had like a little cravat around your neck and you were, and you were just sitting very straight up against the wall, very poised. And it was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting cat. Who is that guy? I want to get to know him. Yeah, I wanted to be on my best behavior in front of Jayashree. <laughs> and so I remember us all being choo, in the- choo, choo Exactly, song. exactly. Because <laughs> I have such fond memories. You, when, you, when you sent that out, I was thinking, you know, what did I learn most? And it was the chataka chataka choo-choo song. You know, yes. she would do that. <laughs> That kind of nursery rhyme in Sanskrit yeah, about a little is, bird and her mother. It is yeah. a nursery rhyme, yeah. And we would just go on and on about it. It kind of brightened the day up after going through, you know, chanting the yoga sutras. Um, <laughs> it's a great way to end class. But I, 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 I appreciated Jayashree's lightness to everything because it made the, the experience actually, because it was a bit daunting for me, you know. I didn't know any chants or let alone um, much about the Yoga Sutras, to be honest, um, in the beginning, nor do I, I don't think I know that much now. But, uh, <laughs> but she made it so, yeah, she made it really accessible, you know, and it broke it down into a place where it didn't feel like these long winded dissertations on the commentaries. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated her um, simplicity at times. Yeah. How did you get there in yeah. the first place? Who, who brought you there? Why did you want to go? Oh, you know, I think Greg Nardi brought me there. Yeah. Okay. I remember that, and that's when how, we met. That's how we met was through Greg Nardi. Yes, exactly. And Dorian. Greg Nardi at coffee. Dorian, Greg Nardi <laughs> brought me. We went to coffee day and you were there yeah. and we would hang out there. Yeah. 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 And that's yeah. where I met Harmony. So yeah. it was a combination of things. But I did meet you. A little bit earlier, Russell. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> um, but, but, so you do this yoga practice in the morning. It's really hard. You've, you've got all day to hang out. And then somebody says, let's get in a, a, a benzene fumed fog and drive <laughs> to the city. Yeah. And then like sit and chant onerously. For two for, hours. For two hours. <laughs> why would you do that in the first place? Like, why would you agree uh, to that? Why would we agree to something like that? Well, when you're taking, you're traveling halfway around the world, you know, you want to learn something a little bit more than, you know, getting the next posture. Though mm -hmm. when I was young, that's kind of, you know, was a good motivator, right? Mm -hmm. But when you have that time on your hand, India is full of that anyways, whether you're mm -hmm. hanging out in your home or um, doing your asana practice early in the morning. And honestly, I had it a little better because when in 2007, when you remember me at Jayashree's, I was studying with Shradaji in his living room, his mother's living room. Oh. I wasn't in the main shala. So I got to sleep in and, you know, do my practice. There wasn't this, you know, deep intensity because there were much less people in there. 
Yeah, yeah. there was what, maybe so 12 lot, people in that? Old? 12 people, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember practicing like with Dave Robson in there, um, Gibran. Oh, and yeah. Susan went, the, I think, that year yes. too, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. I was with uh, Sherrod actually in 2006 too as well, and yeah. it was really quiet. But it was a wonderful experience too. So anyways, going back, I just had a lot, it, you know, I got to sleep in. It wasn't getting up at three in the morning. Yeah. And... Uh, my practice was doing primary. I was, you know, there wasn't um, all that exhaustion that you guys suffered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of exhaustion. <laughs> I remember like head bobbing a few times in that yoga sutras class. <laughs> what I remember is Jayashree constantly admonishing you for going too fast. Yeah. Slow down, Harmony. Yes. Slow down. We Take your time. Yeah, Joey Miles taught me to chant really those sutras really fast in 2004 because Joey was in that that same sutras class and mm -hmm. and I was like he's like it's just like rap just do it really fast it, it's yeah. better and I was like okay <laughs> I'm gonna try that. I, that's the part I would get full of anxiety with is when she would call us and we'd have to chant. <gasps> yeah. In front of everybody, she would give us a section to chant, and you know that was like. Um, more nerve-wracking, I think, than teaching in front of Shirachi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to say that I, I, um, I don't have an ear for music as I, I just really struggle to repeat any, any kind of song out loud. And it's, it's, it's just a nightmare for me. So I feel like I, I really love Jayashree and I, and I suffered it. And I like the Kartikata song. But uh, <laughs> What I, I, I was there because I wanted to listen to Narasimha. I wanted to him. I wanted to hear him, you, you know, give a, his interpretation of the Yoga Sutra, which I thought was right. like, that was the phenomenal little gem, the cherry at the at the end of the two hours is his like four to eight minutes was just like oh, quick. I could just, yeah, no, I could he just, was brilliant. I could do that all day. Is that piece? Mm. And I think most of the time when we're, when Harmony and I teach together, you know, if I'm not like doing like some riff on brain science, I'm just repeating Narasimha's quotes, really. Do you want to quote one for us? <laughs> to put you on the spot? <laughs> well, um, a couple weeks, uh, yes, he said, um, when in the, in the act of, of lovemaking, the moment when you reach a climax is when you have the, the most directed focus. This is the dhyana. You're directly focusing on the point of sensation and then dharana comes and then samadhi. This is how it's made. Wow. Well, I missed that class and I sure <laughs> would have remembered that. <laughs> but it was so useful. It was like, oh, that's how you do it. Because, you know, I really... Right. I really, Relax. I don't really do it. let your body do it. And Relax, really... don't do it. Yeah, we can talk about the 80s now <laughs> and the 90s. I, that song was so important to me. In 1991, well, that song changed my life. I was like, oh, that's how you do it. Oh see, my we can God. Talk about, this is how it is. Everything's connected. Even like how um, going back just to like, you know, the 80s and 90s and actually listening to um, the podcast with uh, Kiki, Kimberly Flynn, mm -hmm. and yeah. how like all these things that can affect your life that you don't make connections with, 
Yeah. I love how I can connect even that. But, um, yeah. you know, being in quarantine, there's been a lot of time for a lot of self-reflection. I'm sure many of us are doing that right now and maybe right. looking at our past or like I did, finding old photos and going through and, you know, seeing where your life was and where it is and where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. And I really want to thank Harmony and you guys and uh, Russell for creating this platform because there's so much social media and so many things to look at, you know, it's almost hard to see what podcast to listen to or who to follow on Instagram and it's hitting us really hard. And uh, when you had uh, Kimberly on, Kiki, she um, just, it was just one little snippet and you guys were sharing about the 80s and 90s and she was Mm -hmm. talking about the friends that she lost to uh, HIV and AIDS and the pandemic and everything. And um, it just, you know, I'm listening to it. Oh yeah, and she said, you know, there's this AIDS memorial um, on Instagram and I was like, yeah, I follow that. And whatever, the day goes on. And the next day I found a photo of an ex-boyfriend and he happened to uh, pass. And we lost contact. Anyways, I took a picture of that photograph and I just put it on my Instagram, my personal account. Mm-hmm. And the uh, AIDS memorial reached out and said they wanted to repost it. Oh. and it was you know because I put one of their hashtags in yeah that's amazing and and so he they reposted it and you know John was a real um kind of that person when you're young and they say things to you that you know make you believe in yourself maybe even before you do mm-hmm. and wow. uh somebody uh saw the photo and they reached out and they sent me a photograph of him <gasps> Oh, and that when he moved to New York, he left where I was in Detroit, he left to New York and uh, I never saw him again. He called me on the phone in like 94 and heard I was on drugs and trying to like tell me to stop doing it. And of course, I'm young and partying and I'm in denial. And that's the last I ever heard from him. And so when he came down with HIV and passed away, I never got to have that kind of closure. Yeah. Yeah. And it was quite beautiful, actually. So your platform really, and with just that one sentence with Kiki kind of kicked that hole into motion. And so thank you. That's, it was, I saw your post and it was just so moving and and touching actually. And I'm, I'm so just amazed and, and honored that, that there was that circle, you know, like you say, everything's connected and, and to have, you know, these little sort of seeds kind of all drawing together. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's how I describe it. Like you, like you said, it's like all these little seeds. And uh, I hope that people can have this opportunity maybe just to even do, you know, just looking back at your past, like I always felt this emptiness because I could never, you know, say I was sorry or that I was mm-hmm. there for him, you know, even a phone call. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because he really did um, change my life. He was the one that kind of got me jobs doing window dressing in Royal Oak, Michigan. And wow. mm-hmm. um, that's kind of where it all started. You know, so I, thank you. I have a, a close friend and we have a memorial wall in our, in our home. Uh, my friend, uh, Frank Scalfani, mm-hmm. who, uh, unrelated to HIV AIDS, just dropped dead. Um, one day uh, when I was in San Francisco and 
uh, dramatically shook our world with that. But he, um, he told me a story once because he moved to San Francisco in 1980 uh, from um, uh, the Bronx. And of course, you know, he was in the middle of everything. He was in the middle of the HIV AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at that time, you know, there were 26,000 citizens of San Francisco passed away of HIV AIDS. And which I thought was amazing because I was in, in New York in 9-11 and I knew three mm. people that died in the tower. You know, and it's like, yeah. it's a city of 15 million people and 2,000 people died. And everybody knew somebody. And so to imagine, you know, what's going on in San Francisco when 26,000 people die and they're all kind of part of a close community to begin with, how incredibly overwhelming that is emotionally to just the unending funerals and the unending death and, and having to sit with that. And, and I, Frank said to me that at a certain point, you know, you just assume that you're going to die and you spend everything you have because you're not going to, you're not sending that money back home. You're just going to, you know, you're sent, you're, you spend everything yeah. you have and live for now. And then at, at a certain point in 1990, like 10 years later, 1995, you know, he, he looked around and was like, oh, I'm not going to die from this. Right. This is crazy. So now I have to kind of start over and rebuild my life and figure out what I'm going to do. Um, I, I, this is kind of maybe more of a difficult segue, but I, 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 I wonder if any of those kinds of, of feelings of, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that and ask you mm-hmm. uh, I don't mean to yeah. out you, but I, I, I'm right. No, you can help me. <laughs> I, outed my, I outed myself the minute I opened my mouth. <laughs> well, that's what well, people assume the same about me because we, we have the same accent, I think. Um, but so growing up uh, gay in, in, in the suburbs of Detroit in the, in the 80s and 90s, I mean, I have to imagine that's a particular kind of hellscape that it's difficult to understand for most people yes completely what what is that like what was it like you know i was you know i think um growing up in high school and hearing about this and knowing at a very young age you know hearing about aids i remember i was in third grade i believe Mm -hmm. and even then i knew somehow it was going to affect me really you know yes because that you we were told homosexuals die of hiv So when you're in third or fourth grade, yeah, I knew I was gay when I was five. Yeah. And so when you hear that at a young age, um, not knowing actually how it's transmitted, it kind of, you know, sunk in my heart. Right. And so growing up, it was this kind of, am I going to die of this disease? And then as I got older, obviously, I got more information. And by the time I was... um, you know, with my first boyfriend, I understood how to be safe. And thankfully, um, you know, I had that behind me. But mm-hmm. it, it, for a lot of young gay men at that time, growing up then and coming into the gay scene and coming to bars, and there's a lot of alcohol and drinking and drugging, which mm-hmm. we can also talk about. Um, because back then, that's the only place you had to go to yeah. was the bars. You, 
that yeah. there was that was like where your community was mm -hmm. and there were some beautiful people and wonderful inspiring people and close friends that kind of taught me kind of mentored me in that way mm -hmm. i've been fortunate because i've always had mentors you know throughout my life mm -hmm. and you don't realize what a big influence they've been until you know you look back so right. in the early 90s i had some older friends that just told me you don't have unprotected sex ever. Right. That's and even life. so when I went in, yeah, but there was this fear and um, having to get your first AIDS test because um, you find you found out somebody that you were with was diagnosed with it was frightening. Oh my gosh, yeah. it'd be terrifying. And um, so when you know, you're growing up in that culture, and it was um, still, you know, rough, it wasn't until the late 90s that these drugs came into play, you know. Well, I would imagine that in some way that there's a, there's a contradiction that, that, that um, taking X or uh, oh, yeah. going to Coke, like there's, a, there's an element where it's helpful. It's like, oh, this is, help, this is working for me. And then, of course, there's a, there's a part where it's not helpful. Yeah. So I think that like with most addiction it starts off in that kind of format. Now, when you're a, kind of when you're in a minority or you already felt isolated your whole life, mm -hmm. even though I had wonderful parents and good friends, you know, growing up feeling like there's a secret you're hiding and, you know, you want to isolate kind of and cover up things and that right. you don't want to deal with. So when you start, like you said, it's beneficial. And so in the early days, like, yeah, the early 90s were amazing when I graduated high school my friends, my group of friends, we were very eclectic. Um, I remember like in 91, going to the first Lollapalooza, seeing mm. the Grateful Dead, wow. um, going to like gay clubs. We were all over the place, the goth clubs. Yeah. And it was fun because the drugs were, we were drinking, we were smoking and taking ecstasy, mm -hmm. acid, but there was nothing, you know, you don't see the progression of what's happening. And you're going to, uh, you know, rave parties, warehouse parties. I mean, Detroit was amazing, you know, and you, I didn't realize the, the opportunity I had to, you know, experience all these things. Right. But what happened with me, not all my friends and not all gay people, because many of my friends weren't in the situation that I was in, but I just slowly found myself going down a deeper path, a darker path. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm with the harder drugs. And so the fun stopped, you know, as like going back to the AIDS and the HIV, when I watched one of my friends um, pass away, I remember my friend um, that I'm still friends with and very close with, uh, Michael, we went and visited him uh, and we walked in the room and he was such a beautiful, beautiful man. He was creative, a singer, a model, a makeup artist. He was so much fun and we walked in the room and, you know, he was about to pass. Right. And, you know, being young and like 19, you just, I didn't have the coping skills. It was selfish, sure. more so about me. And I remember we just, I got in the car and we just went out and really got drunk. And I can kind of remember that moment of that was the darker when I could see myself going down a darker path. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, you just don't want to deal with the reality. Mm -hmm of what your life may end up being, you know? So it gets a little dark right now, but you know, things do rise up. 
Were you doing any kind of uh, spiritual practice on the side? It, uh, no, 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 no. Because I, I no, actually, was no. I've said this before that I actually felt that X is one of the most healing things I've ever done and, and, and was part of the, the step towards emotional intelligence and really being able to heal because it's, it's like, it's like um, what Mr. Rogers says, if, mm. you know, if you can talk about it, you can manage it. And so suddenly I could talk about things, you know, I, I found that the rave scene in Chicago incredibly emotionally intelligent. Like, I, I think, you know, parents would probably be terrified that it'd be like this toxic <laughs> rape culture. Uh, but it wasn't like that at all. No, it wasn't. It wasn't, like a, it wasn't at all. It was Not cuddle bears either. and care bears. You know, it was this yeah, most yeah. incredibly... Exactly. Um, embracing and tolerant place where you could talk about your feelings and say, you know, I'm not gay, but I'd really like cuddling in this hammock with you, if that's all right. <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah, it was very cool. freeing. Yes. Yeah, it was so and freeing. We have, yeah. it, it was freeing and, and kind of liberating. And for some people, that's where it ends. It stops and they know to, you know, get back to reality. So when people are always asking, oh, you know, you kind of can get into that motion for somebody like you, Russell, who, you know, had that wonderful experience, but could walk away from it. And, yeah. and whereas others like myself, there was a longing for something more, you know, right. and, and so that cuddle puddle uh, wasn't very important anymore. The intellectual mm -hmm. conversations became less intellectual. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that probably maybe because of my childhood, like there was always like a stopgap. It's like my brother and I knew like, we're going to really enjoy these experiences, but like uh, heroin and Coke are off limits. And we just knew like, mm. that's, that's a no go. We've seen that in our, in right. our childhood, our aunts and uncles and parents, like they all fuck themselves on that. We're not going to do yeah. that. We're going to stop right there. And so it was, it was almost like, it was like, we had some mentors because they were just such negative examples. Well, and you're lucky because a lot of people that are around those bad examples, you know, fall into oh, the same yeah. trap. Whereas what you're talking about is you had boundaries Yeah. where I don't think I had any boundaries at that time. Mm -hmm. So there was no limit. I didn't understand where that line was drawn. And it's fortunate and wonderful that you had, um, you know, the boundaries to say, this is where it stops and this is where we put it down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think um, that's where the addictive personality, like um, it's more of a mental obsession mm -hmm. than necessarily the actual act of taking a drug for the effect. So I was even thinking, you know, when I was very young, if you want to hear a little story, when I was like eight or nine, yeah. I, had, I had a cavity, so I had to get a filling. Mm -hmm. And I remember my mom telling me the story and I do remember it. And so I get the filling, but they give me nitrous oxide, right? Yeah. And I'm in heaven. I'm like right. eight or nine and I'm just, and I remember they had like wallpaper on the ceiling of clouds. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is what it's about. Literally, yeah. I'm an eight or nine year old child. And so we get into the car. Understanding what drugs are about. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, like I'm eight or nine and yeah. I get into the car and my mother's like, how do you feel? 
she was asking me about my pain, like if I was in pain. Right. I'm like, that was great. I said, I'd like to go after school every day and do that. <laughs> and, but, not get the, but not get the filling. Yeah, like, yeah. She goes, she says, well, that wouldn't be healthy. And I said, how about then just once a week? <laughs> so already right there as a child, I think I was completely on the road to this path, you know? Right. Well, uh, but but when you say, did you have a spiritual practice? You know, I, I grew up in a very, um, my parents became born again when I was in fifth grade, sixth grade. Oh, and they came I, to Jesus. I, and I, yeah, they came to Jesus. And I actually always was mesmerized. And I'm not, trust me, I'm not a deep philosopher on scriptures. Um, but I was mesmerized by this concept of Christ and the Bible. And I really mm -hmm. did kind of keep that with me. But I knew there was something different you know, for me personally, what Christ was. And I knew that, you know, when I was told that I was going to burn in hell because I was attracted to men, mm, that, yeah. you know, hmm, so not only are you a child, this goes back to like hearing that you're, you know, about HIV when you're very young, but then when you're in like sixth and seventh grade, you're going to chapel and they're telling you that you will burn in hell for being gay. Right. That's so already, you know, my 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 mind was a bit confused but i honestly felt um the spiritual connectedness something greater than myself actually when i was very young and during all of that kind of like i'm saying this jokingly but i could see through the polyester clothes and their plastic jesus yeah and <laughs> to the real I could thing see that, that there was something bigger you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. so the real thing that this was all not about what they were preaching so i'm you know, I had a little bit of that in me, even when things got really dark, so that when I started using drugs and getting heavier into them, and this is like into my 20s, my early 20s now, because like we said, like, like I said, 18, graduating, freedom, you know, yeah. ecstasy, mm -hmm. LSD, and then it slowly got into harder drugs. Um, I felt that I was separating myself from something greater than myself. I honestly felt it, and that was my struggle. Um, with my addiction, I knew I was, I knew it was my issue separating myself from, from something greater, call it God or the universe or yeah. collective yeah. consciousness. I knew that it was, I was trying to, so I would feed myself more drugs so I wouldn't have to feel right. that exactly. separation. Exactly. So there was something spiritual in me before even taking drugs. And I sure. had, a, I had, um, you know, as I was growing up in my high school years, I hope this kind of is following a timeline in some frame, mm. but <laughs> it is. my vata can kick in. <laughs> the, um, you know, you grow up and then now you're listening to new music and mm -hmm. alternative and you're seeing like, you know, bands talk about, you know, blasphemous rumors and, you know, things against God. And so things were opening up to me, you know, right. on this concept on a bigger level. So, um, can you describe so, that? I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm sorry if I interrupted you. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Can you describe though, that moment when you, when you're, you're rock bottom, mm. um, and then you said, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to make a different choice yeah, and start yeah. healing. Yeah. So I was in a relationship um, with somebody who introduced me to cocaine mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't his fault. It, it, it just, it was a vile relationship I was in mm -hmm. and he was, 
he was addicted to many drugs. And mm -hmm. by that time, I was getting to low self-esteem and uh, self-loathing myself, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, going through like a, almost like a four-year patch of a bad relationship, I can't remember mm -hmm. actually how long it is, but the years after 21 to 25 were very dark. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, coming home to my parents and I was crashing after a terrible night. Mm -hmm. And my father just looked at me and he threw a number and he said, there's nothing more I can do. You know, I can't help you. Mm -hmm. And he, it was a number two, um, a government run uh, rehabilitation center. And right. he said, I can't make you, I can't call it for you. Only you can do it if you want and I can't do anything. And that was the moment I picked up the phone and I made the call. Wow. But why? So, but why, why did I pick up the phone? Yeah. To call? Yeah. Well, because my life was like, okay, I'm a 20, maybe I was, I got, it was 25. Mm -hmm. And I was young now when I look back at it, now that I'm 49, I was a baby, yeah. I feel yeah. like. And I already went through so much. There was just so much that happened and ending up in bad situations, you know, mm -hmm. my car getting taken from the drug dealer and my parents oh. having to drive me back to pick it up. There was just, it's, it, my life was completely unmanageable. Like you hear a lot of addicts talk. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, I couldn't end up in any more, it, it got worse and worse. I would probably be dead. Mm -hmm. honestly because the situations of it wasn't the drugs it was the situations i was ending up in yeah my um so my uncle uh, go ahead i'm sorry my um, as an aside my uncle told me when i was 13 that um you're just wasting your money if you snort coke you really have to shoot it <laughs> and i was well, like that, that's good I, advice uncle Pete. That's okay right that's a quick way that's a that's a quick way down um, <laughs> I'm, thankful. Yeah. I, I'm thankful though and in, in respect because you'd I don't regret anything, but I do. My father, that moment was qu quite um, amazing. And when people say they have a spiritual awakening, mm -hmm. um, that was kind of a click on, you know, where it kind of clicked and I called and I made the call and I said, okay, I did that. And I had to do it. There wasn't an option. They didn't force me to do it. Mm -hmm. I was on my knees. Like I was 24 ish going 25. I was, um, living back at my parents' house. They wanted to believe the best in me because I know it's because they do care and love mm -hmm. me. But it was like, you know, hearing my father say that, it still sticks with me and gives me goosebumps. So I made the call. And so then you have to go in and it was state run because I didn't have the health insurance that would cover some sort of nice treatment center, which mm -hmm. is probably best for me because I needed the, the hard way. I couldn't be yeah. somewhere fluffy and cushy. Right. And... Uh, I remember then I connected with my friend that I was telling you about earlier, Michael, mm. and we kind of had a falling out because my addiction was so bad. He couldn't deal with me and he wow. can deal with anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we reconnected. He just called me out of the blue and I said, I'm going into rehab. And he's like, great. So we hung out and I remember driving down I-75, yeah. going back to his place. And he lived down in Cass Court in the really bad part of town. But he's like, you're done. You're done. And it was like, he believed in me again. Like, you're oh. done. And it wasn't like I was doing it for him. There was just such a, a moment where he said that, that I was like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. And honestly, I was done because it's, it will be 24 years since I picked up a drug or a drink in November. Wow. So 
and it and I don't want to say it was a miraculous and it was easy and there was no work that had to be done. A lot of work had to be done and that rehab, you know, I was thrown in with these people and nothing against them. They were forced to be there. So there were a couple of us that wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. And there were many that were forced to be there because of their incarceration or right. their probation, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And I remember there was um, one of the first classes we were in, this guy goes on about gay people and is ripping on them. Yeah. Yeah. And back then, I was trying to be quiet, you know, I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. And I just let him know, you know, those people that pe- the people that you're bashing on, I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it just that whole process was like right there was kind of another start, you know, taking accountability for myself and standing up for myself. Yeah, right. That's huge. So that 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 experience of um, that and I had a good therapist and um, I was going to 12 step meetings at that time. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say 12. I suggest anybody out there who happens to um, have an addictive personality or problem, a drug mm-hmm. abuse, whatever it is, a 12-step program is absolutely an amazing process for recovery. And I remember the old timers in the room saying, if you don't come to meetings, you'll drink again. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, so I got to do this. But yeah. you always got to come to meetings. I stopped going to meetings and I haven't been to one in a very long time. Yeah. But that's where yoga came into play and the eight limbs and that. Yeah. But I think that anybody that has a uh, a drug problem or sex addiction or whatever it is, I highly Mm -hmm. recommend a 12 step program, a good therapist, you know, and the eight limbs do yoga. Yeah. My, my dad was an AA for a good amount of time. And I used to go to meetings with him. Oh wow. He he stopped and he's still, it's yeah. Like, I think that was um, 85. He stopped and still hasn't had a drink since. You know, it's so it's, it's can, you can that, you can do it without meetings, but it's it's helpful. It's it's just like that that Buddhist notion. It's helpful to have a sangha. And mm, I, exactly. And I, think, and I think that's one of the benefits of yoga. Actually, I started going to Al-Anon at one point just to yeah. see if this would be really helpful to me. And I was as we were going around the room sharing, and I was like, oh, yeah, these are my people. Yeah, this is exactly <laughs> where I belong. And I can really, I really feel it. I really feel the problems with, with people having like really confused messaging from parents here. And, mm. um, and then I, I realized right in the middle of it that everything that I could get out of Al-Anon, I was getting out of my yoga community. Mm. It was the yeah. same experience. It was the same group of people damaged, seeking healing, um, and struggling often with either communication and with their feelings mm-hmm. of violation mm-hmm. and hurt. We don't necessarily, just because we're yogis doesn't mean that we're like communicating well with each other all the time or not. Right. <laughs> A lot of the times not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, but we're all, but I, I really do feel that yoga, especially Ashtanga yoga, as it was practiced in Gokulam and in, and in Chicago and where we practice, you know, in our little shalas, is very much a proxy for Al-Anon and very helpful for mm. me for that. Yeah, I, can, I, I totally identify and agree. I just want to, you know, I always feel like if I'm giving people recovery advice, I always want to preface because so many people have different paths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know like how um, 
these 12 step programs can work and it's wonderful. And so when I go on about like me going away from it, I don't want to steer anyone, right. you know, from something that may actually keep them sober, clean. Mm-hmm. I, I, but I do agree. I had such, um, an immediate uh, response when I started going to yoga classes Where was and yeah, it was here in Chicago. There? How did I get here? How did you get to that? How did you, yoga class? That. How'd you get to Chicago <laughs> in the first place? Yeah. So, yeah. So um, when I was two years clean, I had an opportunity to move to Chicago. Um, a lot of the retail, I was doing visual display work, I, you know, window dressing, merchandising for department stores and specialty stores. And all of those companies were folding. And I just had an opportunity to come down here to Chicago and work for a company. And I packed my bags and moved here not knowing anyone. And wow. everybody in the community like of uh, my recovery we're like, oh my God, this is going to be, it's not a good idea. You shouldn't right. do it. You shouldn't do it. And it was a scary thing. I was maybe 27 now yeah. and alone. It was the dead of winter, but I came <laughs> down here and it was, it was dark, depressing and cold yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, not having a car anymore, taking Matt's transit and being alone. So mm-hmm. that did really challenge my program, you know. Yeah, that's a recipe my sobriety. for disaster, yeah. Yeah, it could be a recipe for disaster. But I, you know, communicated with people, reached out to my mother and father, mm-hmm. uh, my friends. Uh, they kept me kind of afloat. And then luckily, I got my next job quickly because I was very unhappy in my other job. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other game. But <laughs> I met my friend and who was my mentor again at Neiman Marcus. She uh, was the visual manager. I became her assistant. Mm-hmm. And so I started um, work there at doing the window displays again and such not. And I was, the, I was the assistant. So there was a lot of pressure and I was very engulfed in my job, you know, yeah. not having a lot of friends, being alone. But the friends that I did make, um, they would hear me talk and they're like, you need to learn how to breathe. And I remember uh. like, oh, you're right. Because I mean, I was telling probably a really not important thing that happened at work, but it was the world to me right. and hyperventilating. And they just looked and it just clicked. And I was like, okay, you're right. I need to learn how to breathe. And then shortly after, I, another friend of mine was like, oh, I quit smoking through uh, doing yoga. You should go up to the Shivananda Ashram right around here by our house. Oh. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's my first real introduction. I took some other yoga, but that was the first introduction yeah. to a, a, a real class. And they had like an intro class where you would mm-hmm. have homework. And I loved it because I wasn't interested in doing asanas. And I just wanted to learn how to breathe and thinking I was going to meditate and calm down. And right. the classes yeah. were really, really nice. The community was sweet. Um, but then I moved to the other side of uh, the city. Mm-hmm. and it was I wasn't going to take the train and a bus and a you know to right. get up there would take like an yeah. hour and a half exactly. so there was a there was a little studio around the house from me um around the corner and they had you know a potpourri of classes it was like one of those small storefronts with one room and uh they had some and there, I took the unlimited thing and I took every class you could do and right. there was an Ashtanga class by uh Terry Smith do you remember her 
Yes, she adopted a young Indian yes. baby. She's girl, a teenager right? now. Yeah, she's a teenager yeah. now. The of course, girl. that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow. So she's like a teenager now, but I uh, took, a, took a class with her and I remember hating it. Like if we had to do another jump through and a jump back and yeah. I couldn't yeah. touch my kneecaps. I couldn't do anything. Right. Yeah, I'm doing full primary in this lead class. Right. That's insane. It, yeah. it was insanity, but yeah. I went back for more. Yeah. <laughs> and why? Why'd you go back? I knew there was something there, but it was, I remember just thinking like, I, you know, like I couldn't do anything, but yeah. I remember like the second class, I understood what was happening, like the jump through and jump back. Like it kind of felt like a pendulum. That's the only right. thing I could basically do. But to do an asana was out of, not very... Um, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't... The aptitude was lacking. It wasn't mm. in your body. You hadn't done any kind of gymnastics or dance. I was a tumbler when I was a kid. No, it was... When I was young, I, was, uh, I would teach all the kids how to do back handsprings in my front yard. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they could all do it, but then they would get so sore. They would say, oh, my mom says uh, I can't put, come over today because I'm too sore. And I said, you got to work it out and you got to do it again. So, I mean, it was deep in my body. Yeah. But I lost all that. Yeah. You lost, lost it, all but, that. It, but it came back to you. Yes, it did. But I, it was rough. And I did have a background when I was young. Okay. And, and I actually, like, you know, I, when people say, oh, I'm not a dancer. I was never this. I was never that. It's like, well, these dancers are put through hell. Yeah. And like they come to yoga and they're a wreck. Just yeah, they're they most, a, exactly. Like, they're mostly I don't broken. Think that's, I don't think that's a great thing to say. I, it's no. like, because dancers have had a hard life and yeah. gymnasts and so forth. And but they fucking smoke I, like chimneys. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Harmony was a dancer. And yes, a smoker. And a smoker. <laughs> But it's true. Let's it's, just hope you're not smoking now. No, mm. it's interesting. Uh, like when you have that experience when you're uh, younger, like even really young, um, and then you come to yoga. It's for me. It, I mean, it's almost like uh, reconnecting to like this time of innocence, almost in yourself, or like mm -hmm. something exactly. that's. I don't know. That's very deep and timeless and. I don't know, the yoga has a really magical kind of effect that way you, you get to go back in time almost, you know? You know, what you, you know what, I love what you said, Harmony, because I feel the same way. There's this thing where people say they're transformed through yoga, mm -hmm. but I actually found when I came to yoga, I got to go back before I was convoluted, you know, by everything that I was going through. Yeah. And it did bring me back to... Um, to a younger self. And like, I can just even think when I was a young child, I would dress the Barbie dolls. And yeah. here I am as a grown adult, just doing bigger ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would do back handsprings and back yeah. walkovers and all these things in my front lawn obsessively as a child. Yeah. And it felt so good. Even, it's funny when Sherrod, that you gave me um, uh, Diparita Chakrasana. Yeah. yeah. I went up to him. I said, TikToks. I feel like I'm TikToks. Yes. I feel like I'm like eight years old again. And yeah. he just laughed. Yeah. It, it did bring <laughs> me back to that. So when you say that, it's something that if you haven't experienced it, it really does. So I always feel like, actually, I feel like a regression in a good way, in a positive yeah. way. Yeah. Because there is a time. Yeah. I mean, there's a time for most most humans, most beings 
where, you know, before like any of this distinction and categories and, mm. and judging and analyzing and, you know, where you just are free kind of, you are who you are and you don't even, you know, it's not classified. It's not categorized. It's just, you know, there's these, these moments of just being free to be, you know, to be without exactly. being anything, just existing kind of, you know. So well said. <laughs> I, I, I really. Yeah, I, I relate, I to, relate that. to that. Was it, was it your experience with Terry that, that you said to yourself, you know, this is, I've been doing this for a while. I need to go to India myself. Like, yeah, it was kind did, of, uh, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, I, um, you know, I was working now as a, my own visual manager in a suburb store and the job was really stressful. I was making good money, you know, and saving money. And I was like, why am I saving all this money? Like, what <laughs> yeah. am I doing with it? You know, yeah. and, and I was like, oh. And then some people were going to the south of India and they said, do you want to come? And I was like, I would love to come, but I can't take, you know, this time off. They won't let me. Right. And I said, I'm just going to quit. I, I wasn't unhappy with the job. My, that company treated me very well. Mm-hmm. And I, I have nothing but um, great memories throughout all the years that I worked with them. And yeah, I just thought, yeah, I'm going to go. So they went to the south of India in 2004. And then I made my way up to uh, Mysore afterwards. Wow. Oh, cool. And Terry was very supportive. I mean, she was, you know, she was very, I'm trying to think, enthusiastic would be the word. Yeah. And, yeah. Go, and, go, go. And positive. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and she, so, you know, that kind of got me there. I remember, though, before I went to Mysore, she, I was in her lead classes. That's all I was doing, like three classes a week with her lead. And she, I didn't know what Mysore was. Right. You know, it's not like I had the book and was reading it and, you know, digesting it. I just would go to these lead classes and yeah. I didn't know what Yakum really was, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so when you went to Mysore, did you sign up and practice that year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With I had- um, Patabi Joyce and Sharat. With Patabi Joyce Shalom. and Sharat, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, Terry did tell me, you need to go to Mysore classes. And, and I went and I didn't have a resonating feeling with a lot of the teachers. Right. Um, but they were very nice and, you know, it was, it was good. But I really thought, okay, I'm going to go. And I went for a couple months up to Mysore after the south. We were like in a, the south side of some Ayurvedic center with Shiva Ray. Oh, wow. funny. And so I go up there and I do, I registered with um, Patabi Joyce and Sharat. And uh, the experience, I was kind of confused, you know. I didn't know a lot of people, but I did meet you. And yeah. Russell, not you, yeah. Bernie, Russell. Yeah. Uh, but, uh-huh. you know, the people, the group of people I was hanging around, we were in the last batch. And right. so it was late. And you would just hear the calling I'm of the people, su- one more, one more. And, I'm know, such a status was. whore that I'm sure I would have completely just ignored you. I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's not yeah. on the page. You don't even, yeah. Who is he? <laughs> Why is he here, Randy? And who invited him? I still don't remember that. I have a good memory, pretty much, but I don't remember how I ended up in that room. But you know, I don't know either. When you have, I don't. Um, yeah. yeah, but you were there, weren't you? I you don't remember, remember even Randy. why I was blowing you. He I was always even... with Randy. <laughs> yeah. So you know, 
I, you're, you're my first trip. I'm with the newer people, which was great. And some of us are still friends. Like I met Tasha that trip. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Margaret from Cho. Chu. Yeah. From San Jose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Who else did I meet? Govindakai. That's our, I mean, that's our generation, man. That's us. That's our crew. So, I was, you know, kind of, we'd sit at like Tina's and eat breakfast and yeah. everyone's talking about how Patabi Joyce is their guru. And I'm like, I don't know. I want my guru to know my name. <laughs> <laughs> like that's kind we of- We all did. Yeah. We like, all I wanted want... him to know us. We all wanted, <laughs> please know me. Please know me. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so when I was there that trip, it was nice because before Sharat would have to go teach, you know, his own classes, uh, in Saraswati's house, he would wait for me every day and he taught me how to come up from a backdrop. And, oh, wow. you know, every day I remember him waiting. I don't, yeah, I thought I was special, right? But yeah, he was probably not, it's in my there. mind, but he was yeah. there every day yeah. and then he would leave. And I remember, okay. So that whole time in Mysore, I didn't know, you know, if I'd come back or what. And I didn't know what I was really gonna do with my life because I quit my job. Right. Yeah. So I had enough money saved though, and my uh, mentor at Neiman's had me work for her. Um, part, you know, I could come and go as I want. So I basically from what, 2004 to 2011, 12, I would l- go and work for Neiman's for six or seven months and then go to Mysore for six or seven months. Wow. And in like 2007, it, when I met you, Harmony, yeah. there was a long trip. I remember yeah. being yeah. there we were, a long time. We were both there a long time that year. Yeah, It was a long, we got to know each other. Yeah. We, all, we all destroyed our prime earning years in our youth. Yeah, That's it's true. Sure. This is true. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't trade it for anything. It, that right. Was, yeah. That was like everything. And yeah, so I had that uh, opportunity to... Um, go back and forth. I had like security in that I'd save all my money and not spend anything on uh, anything material in the Western yeah. world. And then I would go and, you know, practice. And that's why when I got back from, to, from my first trip, I, I did remember feeling like I need to go back. There's something there. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm, I definitely will be practicing and going to Shirat's just, right. you, felt you know, that. his own uh, room. Yeah. Just, I felt, yeah, I felt it. And uh, and so that's what I did until uh, we were, we had to go practice in the main shallow. When 2007, yeah, yep. I remember. Yeah, mm, and then we wow. came over and, and you know, even then it was, we can all be nostalgic, whether there's 12 people in the room like I had when I, well, 2007 got really busy too, didn't it? Wasn't yeah, that the did year? That um, every, everybody's class was Everybody, was and now that would be yeah. nothing, right? But, right. you know, we all look like, nostalgic wise like oh remember when it was in Lakshmi Porm and there were 12 people yeah and then I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah but remember when I was in in Sharat's class and there were 12 people yeah and now remember sure. when it was my store and there were 100 people because even at 100 yeah. people you kind of got to know everybody that's exactly. right that's right and and but I will say like going back I was just uh there the last time it was open and the right. the new big shell is amazing I loved it yeah. like I really, really did enjoy it because there's fresh air, there's room. Yeah. And, cool. you know, the younger generation are so friendly and so they're, they can do everything, you know, yeah, their practices, exactly. a lot of them anyways. And they're the ones that have, you know, they're, it's just a really, they're sweet. I mm-hmm. thought I would nice. be like this bitter old man, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
fact. Welcome to I, Gen X, kids. Yeah. <laughs> no, there, this is what we're the, like. The, the, the energy is, I, I really enjoy it. There's so many mm. nice young people that are kind, caring, respectful. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Um, because when I, I have to say that when, when I was there, my experience was that the older generation was always ever so eager to, um, to impart to me how much longer they had been there than me. And like, that mm -hmm. was like always the first thing on everyone's breath. And it was really, right. that's an intimidating and almost hostile environment for a, for a noob. I mean, yeah, like mm -hmm. pardon me, but I wasn't born yet. Like, what are you supposed to say to that? Like everything yeah. comes in its time sure. and sorry, I wasn't alive and <laughs> you weren't, you got to be here. Yeah. Good for you, you know, but it, it is, nostalgia is great. And, you know, as long as you keep it in perspective and who you're talking with, so you don't feel like you're isolating them yeah. and, and, and that you don't feel like you're maybe superior um, but it's funny that you say that because I had the same experience too, you know, yeah. with people saying, I better. Wow. Yeah, there was and, a, there was a big totem, totem pole or yeah. pecking order for sure. It felt like yeah. when we uh, came Pecking order. Pecking yeah. order. Like one month, if you'd come to my store one and, month and, earlier and, than the other person, it was like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, you, that's, I, I understand where we stand. Yeah. Now. It's true. It, it was that like yeah. <laughs> detailed. Yeah, right. Yeah, completely. And well, I think, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just I have I do think that like when you look at Mysore or why people have a guru or a teacher and you know there's all these different things going on with people and their opinions you know of what they want out of yoga and what a teacher should be and in this time, this day and age, I just think that everybody has their way. And I, you know, have my doubts maybe, but that's normal in having a teacher that I don't get to see every day and mm -hmm. uh, spend time with like I used to. And so, yeah, you can kind of feel like, oh, you know, think about how it used to be. But I, I do find that um, it's helped me tremendously in my life. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. And I think all those years going to Mysore, there's been positive and negative things, right? It's like anything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as I'm getting older, my body's not as, the postures aren't as accessible. It's okay. You yeah. know, my Sharat treated me wonderfully mm -hmm. last trip. So I, I just mm -hmm. think that anybody that does have a curiosity or care to explore that, I still highly, you know, recommend going. Yeah, I think each each era, each, you know, different season of, of practitioners and people bring, bring a new and different kind of energy. And mm -hmm. it's always special if, if it's your first time there, or your yeah. second time, it's always, I mean, it's, it's special because it's your time, right? And I right. mean, even for us, it was special because it was our time. And, you know, if we go back again, it, it'll be special again. <laughs> totally. But you have to be careful because like, um, it's like a cure song that I used to listen to. And it says the further you get from the things that you care about, the less I care about how much further away I get. That's and true. It's, oh, wow. And it's so true. Wow. Like mm -hmm. you, you, it's that, that lyric always stuck in my head, even like in my using days, right? Like yeah. I'm getting away from me. I remember listening to it and then feeling that. And then also, you know, being in lockdown and not being around the things that you used to love doing, do you still love doing them? And it, mm -hmm. it's like, 
I always say either distance makes the heart grow fonder or out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. So you, you stopped um, uh, being an art director, I think, and, and you started teaching yoga and, and mm-hmm. running a wonderful shala that, that Harmony and I visited. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about your, your experience in lockdown? Because we went to visit your home. Yeah. And it was- it's just, it's just, it's incredible how people can leverage themselves into situations where they can have such luxury and still like, but just be on a yoga, yoga teacher's salary. Like, I don't, I can't even understand how you ended up in this palace. And it's, it's phenomenal. I wonder if you could, you could tell us about your, the, the little place that you're trapped in. The little place that I'm trapped in or my, the yoga program that I'm trapped in with. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Your home. Your home no, you so with I your wonderful partner. In, yes, Andre. He's actually on a call right now. So, and in these small spaces, you can yeah. get a lot done. But, um, you know, like you said something about making something out of nothing. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good oh, way. Right. Russell said that. That was the, and it's a really the good Todd way. Oldham. Now, I wasn't a Todd Oldham fan. I know you brought that up as well. I was more of a John Paul Gaultier, Christian Lavoie, oh, right. Comde Garçon person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing yeah. wrong with Todd. No, but, but he does. But he makes he something make out of nothing. And that's what I, I was amazed about. And, him. It was like he could just do, yeah, just go into a junk store and come out with, with gold. And, and, and this is the, the place that I live in, actually, was an old Victorian home in the late 1800s and a, an artist in a, and I guess what was, what would you call Saul, the man that put the money in the investor, mm-hmm. um, gave, he bought the property and he allowed Edgar Miller, this artisan to create these, they basically gutted the outside, they just kept the framework of the building, but built around it and then gutted the whole entire uh, mansion. And then they created individual artist studios with reclaimed findings you know throughout the city because it was during they did this in like 1927 they would re buy it really cheap or just salvage it and they created these individual studios there's 17 of them in here and it's they basically made um a lot of something out of nothing yeah they're extraordinary and that's 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 so beautifully said that's like a fractal um Mm. that's amazing so he's doing that and then how how can you afford to live there? How can I afford it? Well, luckily, <laughs> how can I afford this? It's, luckily, you know they're not they're not extravagantly expensive. And I was fortunate that the place that you came and visited, the rent was really cheap actually. And my friend rented it to me, yeah. and she was actually the president of the the condo association here. And then we had um, Andre and I bought this one that we're in together. And I, the lady that lived here really wanted us to have it because she wanted oh. us to preserve Edgar's legacy. And sure, so we got a pretty sure. good deal on it. And, you know, I think that you just uh, stay focused. I don't want to get into like um, hocus pocus magic, but I actually have a photograph that I, when I was obsessed with Edgar before I even knew anybody in this building. And I have a photo online of this place wow. that we bought, that we have now. And I remember thinking my curiosity, you know, about what is actually in there. That's amazing. It's like a vision board. It is. Yes. You knew about him before you ever moved in. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, you like developed a, like an obsession with him, right? 
Mm, yes, I did. My, um, I found a unit for, again, my mentor at Neiman's and that she moved into one. I found it for her online and she moved into it first. And I just became kind of a, yeah, it was a little obsessive maybe. And he was but, a local, he's a local Chicago artist. He was a local uh, Chicago artist and he worked actually, it's a long story and you should uh, Google him. It's fascinating. But he created all of this, and then in the you know, the '30s, and um, moved to San Francisco. There's a long story about that. But they people found him and brought him back yeah. from San Francisco. So he's in his late '80s, and he was still carving and doing woodwork and having people help him make stained glass windows. And so he worked until you know he passed away in 1993, I believe. I think he was 93 years old. Yeah. Mm. That's amazing. It reminds me, it's such a Chicago story. It reminds me of someone like H.C. Westerman or uh, the, the, the Chicago or even like Frank Lloyd Wright, like this kind of phenomenal aesthetic that Chicago brings to the art world, even, even at the same time that it's like reduced as the second city. Mm. I, I just still think it's just such a phenomenally beautiful city and a, right. and a beautiful city to live in. And it's, it's a wonderful that's, a, that's such a wonderful artist. To... Yeah, he is. He, he's incredible. And it's inspiring um, to be able to actually teach online and be at my home because I love being at home. Yeah. And I get to work in this wonderful space. And uh, it, it is actually enjoyable. Uh, I don't, you know, have any complaints on that. And I think it's kind of like when you're a yoga teacher, and I have a partner, but even when I was single, I think that it's just of you really are mindful in what you're doing with your monies and you know i always was fine i was i always had neiman's in my back pocket i was always contracted and mm -hmm. but i was still running that program that you guys got to come and see that was quite amazing mm -hmm. and everyone loved you guys mm. um and it was really special having you come to this building but um i think that if you can you know kind of focus on what you want and in what you need it all kind of will come come to fruition like harmony said like a vision board yeah. Was it nerve wracking for you? Was it scary to transition fully from like the security of having mm. Neiman Marcus and that f job, whether it was part time or full time? Yeah. To, yeah. Like jumping off the edge of the bridge into full time teaching Mysore style you know, and, Ashtanga? Yeah, yeah. it's scary. <laughs> it, it was scary. I, I was fortunate that I could uh, have a space and a you know the studio yeah. um, and run it how I wanted and as long as I wanted so there was a nice big chunk of window to develop something mm -hmm. but it was scary I, I came back in what was it 2011 and just started doing it full-time for a couple of years and actually Neiman's then threw something at me where I went down to Miami for a short stint for like a year and four months yeah. so I was back actually doing that and then now this past uh, five years I've been doing it to completely just full-time and now not without a studio. I left that place and uh, right. work with a partnership and uh, I rent space at a place in the fine arts building. Russell, you might be familiar with. Yeah, I am actually. And uh, so right now I don't know what the future holds with, you know, but it was scary. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Totally scary. And, and do you, do you foresee yourself going back to uh, teaching Mysore when you know, things. Yeah. I, open yeah, up again? Yeah. When, <laughs> when in America, if that ever happens, yeah. I mean, you know, you guys um, have got, you got good leadership there in Chicago. I think, you know, you might be okay. 
Chicago's okay, but it's it's really bad here uh, <laughs> in the in, in the country. And I don't want to get to this. Could turn into a whole other podcast on my views, you know, on <laughs> politics. Yeah. And, it, and and but it is a time for us to all like you know the 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 beauty of teaching online right now and what I do when I um, am teaching my students holding our community together during this. I open the um, link up uh, 15 minutes early mm -hmm. during class so that people can chat and nice. create that sangha like you talk about yeah. and actually express themselves if they want to. Like, mm -hmm. even if you don't believe in what I believe in, I, you don't need to. Yeah. But you, you can voice your opinions and concerns and people are scared and anxious. And, and then even after class is over with and they go into taking rest, I still keep it open for a little while and we chat that's, and we share. Um, that's and, really and, smart. Yeah, and it really does, the students feel, I think that they can have a voice. And of course, as you can tell, I like to talk. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we, sh we do share a lot, and, um, but it does get into some really tough conversations. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, right now we're having even family-wise personal relationships, students going through a lot. Um, yeah. it's, it's like we have to be vigilant and alert and you know, it's, I, I just, on my own, you know, soapbox is like, you have to vote yeah. and we have to do our part yeah. to um, make America what it, sh what it should be. Yeah. 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 And I, I like it. I was listening to something, um, a black man asked Trump in a town hall meeting. I don't know right. if you saw it. Yeah, I did. And he said, when was America ever great? Yeah, <laughs> and it was such a good question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you like, yeah. Do you mean like, was it great when blacks couldn't vote, or, or, right. was, it, or like, was it great when, was when it blacks, great for them? or was it great when blacks were slaves? At what point are you referring to in history? And like, that was so a, great. It's it it's so isolating and mm -hmm. degrading, actually. I think mm -hmm. so. I, you know, I just feel like I I said earlier too to harmony um it's like uh, arjuna right now yeah and you know you know leslie henry said something really great and she's like you know uh, a yogi doesn't just sit on a rock and watch the world burn down yeah. you know they take action yeah, yeah and right. I, I think that was really smart <laughs> like just yeah yeah you just don't sit on a rock and say oh no yeah that's i mean i think that's the whole, I mean, not the whole, but a huge point of, of the story of the Bhagavad Gita and the, the war and the mm. Mahabharata is, is you don't just sit yeah. by and let, mm -hmm. let bad things happen or let people who have bad um, intentions. intentions in their heart rule the land, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's being, so hard, like it's the... yoga's being the change yep. you want to see in the world is being change. Yeah. It's being a change agent. Mm. Correct. Exactly. And that's why that's what yoga is. You know, that you come back and you have these like skills to, yeah. to put your life into action. And it's, that's, I think when you look at the big picture of what yoga is, it's being able to connect in that way. Mm -hmm. And well, uh, you talk, you, you tell the stories really beautifully harmony about all those um, sages and stories so <laughs> well thank you more more to come on that i hope soon <laughs> i hope so too it was in my my uh new moon planting seeds intentions so we'll mm. we'll see what manifests from that i'll have to start a vision board and 
and really get things cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just thank you so much for coming on the show with us, Todd. It's such a pleasure to talk with oh. you. And it's just so nice talking with old friends. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It was a joy. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for uh, this platform, Harmony and Russell, and mm. kind of connecting me to a dear old friend that I, you know, wouldn't have gotten to see that photograph, I don't think, had it not been for this podcast. Oh, that's so nice. Well, I'm, I'm just pleased that it's, it's allowing people to, to heal and to find their own harmony with themselves and the world <laughs> around them. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think yeah. on just, to, can I end just on one more thing? Yes. For any Please. like LGD, LGBTQ uh, people, sorry, I'm, my mouth's a little dry from talking, that you, <laughs> there is, it does get better and you hear that slogan, but honestly, if you know, you're feeling isolated or alone or need somebody to talk to, there's tons of things online, crisis hotline that you can talk to to get help, whether you're feeling um, bullied, abused, um, substance abuse, there's so much information out there and that you have to know you're not alone, even though you may feel it. Yeah, it's so important right now, I think, especially with, with the COVID situation and, and a lot of isolation, it's really easy to fall into, um, into those darker exactly. places of yeah. ourselves. Exactly. And I just feel like, you know, me being a gay man, it's important for me to, to put that out there. Yes, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. And just before we go, where can people find you? Where can they, can anyone come take online Mysore classes with you? I usually keep it to just my students, but I have taken some students that need a teacher and they can mm -hmm. email me. Um, they can go to my website at www.mysorechicagoyoga.com or message me over Instagram at Yoga, and we can chat. And, um, or if you want to follow my personal page about Edgar Miller and things going on in my life, it's yes, Todd please. underscore Bowman. Perfect. And you can just reach out. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. We're so thrilled. And thank you. As Todd mentioned in the podcast, one of my passions and interests is writing about some of the mythologies behind the names of the asanas and the people, the sages, or the animals they're named after and how it relates to Indian stories. And so if you'd like to read more about this, head on over to my website. I have a free ebook that you can download and you can find that just on my homepage, harmonyslater.com. And I will look forward to connecting with you more online. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a hard